Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 12 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm Rich Cimini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, and I'd like to thank you for following along on the podcast, on social media, and on ESPN.com, of course. The storylines and commentary haven't been all that cheery for obvious reasons, so I really do appreciate the loyalty. I do have some positive news, though. Jets rookie standout Elijah Moore, who had a monster game against the Dolphins, will be our guest in the second segment, and you won't want to miss that. As for Sunday's game, a 24-17 loss, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. It's pretty obvious what happened. The Jets finally face a team in their weight class, but they played young, which is to say they didn't play smart. Three killer penalties, a major coverage gaffe in the secondary, a pass protection blunder on the opponent's five-yard line. These were four drives. They had four drives into plus territory where they came away with zero points. They didn't coach great either, wasting two timeouts. They just weren't a tight operation from top to bottom. And here we are. The Jets will be sitting down for their Thanksgiving dinner with a 2-8 and eight record. But right now, I want to go big picture. I want to share with you this. During and after the games, ESPN ref- reporters across the country were flooded with a lot of stats. Our stats group in Bristol does a great job. And so during the game, I'll pick and choose you know, interesting stats, stats I think are the most relevant, and I'll post them on social media. And after the game, this one came across, and I had to do a double take. The Jets have lost their last 10 division games, 0-10 this year and last combined. The only team in the league with no divisional wins in that span. And it's like I knew that just because of the obvious record, but I didn't know it. And so that, folks, right there says everything about how far away the Jets are. You can't do anything in this league unless you can beat the teams in your own division. They're like the kids in your neighborhood. If you can't beat them, who can you beat? Not only are the Jets not winning these games, but they're not even competitive. In the 10 losses, they've been outscored 295 to 124. So basically, that's an average game of 29 to 12 loss. They've held a second half lead in only three of those games, and all three were last year. So the Jets are getting bullied by their kids in their own neighborhood knocked to the ground, sand kicked in their face, and it's happening in the post-Tom Brady era when the division was supposedly going to be up for grabs. Well, we were wrong about that. It's the same as it ever was. The Patriots are in first place, the Bills are chasing, and the Jets and Dolphins are far off in the distance. Gee, I wonder why that is. And so here we are. The Jets are selling the future, selling it hard. Robert Sala is a good salesman, too. He flipped Rex Ryan from an angry Sala critic to Sala's number one fan in just one phone conversation. Watching Rex on TV, it sounded like he was brainwashed into joining a Sala cult. That was a fast 180, right? But I get it. The Jets have to look forward and they have to believe in their plan. I actually talked to Sala about this the other day, and he's absolutely convinced they're doing it the right way. Recent history shows that growth often occurs when playing so many young players. Each year, there's a handful of teams that reach the 9,000 snap threshold. Let me explain. 
9,000 combined snaps for rookies, first and second year players. That's really young. From 2017 to 19, 19 teams hit the 9,000 snap mark in a season. Of those 19, 13 saw win increases the following year, and that win increase was about an average of about three and a half wins. So history says the Jets should see a bump next year if they do it right, if they don't screw up their draft picks. Right now, they have the second and sixth picks, plus two second rounders and another five picks after that. This year's draft, 2021, looks promising with Elijah Moore leading the way. Now, Michael Carter is injured now. He's probably going to miss a couple of weeks with that ankle. He leads the team in yards from scrimmage. On his 39-yard run Sunday, did you see who made one of the key blocks? That was left guard Elijah Vera Tucker, another rookie. Zach Wilson? We'll see. I suspect he'll be back in the lineup this week, which would give him seven games to get on the right track. So, yeah, there's some potential in this draft, but general manager Joe Douglas needs to stack good drafts. Salah is not exactly right about one thing, though. Discussing the youth movement, he said, in fairness, this is the first time this fan base has experienced something like this. Usually it's been a quick fix followed by a scramble. This time we actually have a plan, end quote. As Jet fans can attest, this is not the first time they've done this rebuilding thing. I agree with Salah in the sense that it's the first time they've been this committed to a youth movement, but it's definitely not the first roster reset. John Itzik did it in 2013, and Mike McCagnan did it again in 2017. That year, it was so obvious that everyone accused them of tanking. Remember that? Remember the suck for Sam narrative? Before jetting off to London, Woody Johnson told Mike McCagnan to cut David Harris, to cut Eric Decker. They had big salaries, and Johnson couldn't understand why they were still on the roster. So out of the blue, in the middle of a June minicamp, team officials called Harris, one of their best soldiers ever, out of the locker room and told him he was being cut. Talk about awkward and unceremonious. They told the fans to be patient back then. Hang in there. It would pay big dividends down the road. They were empty promises, as you know. They never got better. And here we are again, another rebuilding phase. Now, that was before Salah's time. It was before Douglas's time. So you can't blame them for that mess. This is their shot to fix the mess. And they should get that chance to do it their own way. But don't tell Jets fans they haven't been through this before. They've been living it for 50 years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now I'd like to welcome in our guest this week. He had his best day as a professional on Sunday with eight catches for 141 yards and a touchdown. That was the most receiving yards by a Jets rookie since Rob Moore went for 175 all the way back in 1990. Of course, I'm talking about Elijah Moore. Elijah, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me. You've been on a, in a groove lately. You know, you've had uh, 
24 catches over the last four games for 300 something yards. What's happening now for you that maybe wasn't happening early in the year? I just feel like, you know, the more games that I'm, you know, getting to play, the more comfortable I'm feeling, you know, um, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, the more opportunity, the more, the more balls that come my way, the more I get to show. Um, and, and I'm just blessed that, you know, I get to do that. And I, and I think we forget sometimes that you were injured in the preseason. I mean, you did have that quad injury, which allowed you, which didn't allow you to play in any of the preseason games. Did, do you think that affected you a little bit too, coming early in the regular season? Uh, yes and no. You know, I would say yes, because, you know, just to get in the groove of everything, getting, you know, the little shakes and, you know, giggles out. But no at the same time, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, ball, ball is ball, you know, so. If you got to play six games to get comfortable, one game to get comfortable, at the end of the day, football's football. It's not going to change. Right. You know, Joe Flacco made an interesting comment after Sunday's game. And, of course, Joe has not been here that long, you know, less than a month. But he said one of the things that he heard was that uh, early in the year, maybe, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing him right now, he said maybe you got caught up in doing a lot of stuff with your feet and your hands and that you've learned to modify it as time has gone on. Could you speak to that? Is is there something maybe that you streamlined with your route running a little bit? No, I just feel like it all comes, you know, it really just all comes down to, you know, understanding exactly what I'm doing and the whole picture to everything, you know, like why I'm running the route, why I'm doing this, you know, not everything's just man, not everything's about me. A lot of the times people run routes and it can be to open somebody else up to understand why everything's piecing it, it together. You know, the coaches do, you know, a great, a great job of, staying up there all day and putting the best plan for us, you know, to go out, to go out there and win. And a lot of people don't un understand. It's not about, you know, the I, the, you know, the me it's, it's about the we. So really just probably understanding that, you know, just understanding that football is not just about one-on-one, -on -one, you know, it's about opening other people up too. So I think once I started understanding the bigger picture, you know, things is are going to help out. I thought you made such an impressive adjustment on the touchdown on Sunday. Obviously, that Miami was blitzing. Could you talk about that play? And I remember you saying after the game, you, you, you knew there was pressure. You had to shorten your route a little bit. I thought that was so savvy for, for a rookie player to do. Could you maybe enlighten the fans on, on what exactly you had to do on that play? Uh, it, it, it really wasn't too much, you know. Miami plays a lot of man and cover zero. So knowing that coming to the game, you know, you either got to speed your route up because they're going to bring a lot of blitzes. Um, so that shortens up the time, the, the amount of time that the quarterback has to throw. So you kind of look at it as like seven on seven. You know, you just kind of have a feel for the route. You feel everybody else running, going to be in, you know, in Joe's, in Joe's face. That would just only make sense for me to hurry up and try to get out my break quicker so he can see me. And that's kind of all I did. And he made a heck of a throw on that play, too. I mean, that, would, that yeah, was a hell of a game, man. I'm grateful for him. And, you know, it's funny. You know, you've, you've only 10 games into your NFL career. You've already caught passes from four different quarterbacks, which doesn't happen often in the NFL. Could you speak to that and what it's been like going through, you know, from Zach to, to, you know, to White, to Flacco, to Josh Johnson? What's that been like for a rookie to go through that? A lot of people probably look at it as negative, but I look at it as positive. You know, if you can do it with anybody, then, man, I really can't be stopped. So it's just, you know, it's giving me more of a confidence that it doesn't matter who's who's in there. You know, if you if you grind with us, then, you know, I guess I guess you fit the, I, like you fit the picture. 
How much are you looking forward to Zach getting back? You guys obviously had a great chemistry uh, on the practice field and OTAs and early in training camp. And I, I think you guys are kind of buds off the field as well. Uh, how much are you looking forward to Wilson getting back in there? Man, I can't wait, man. Zach, Zach being healthy is all is all I think everybody in, in, in the facility wants, you know. Brings uh, more of a joy, more of a smile to him, to him too, you know, playing in the games and, and just being out there with his brothers. So having him back is, is definitely a positive. Now you and Zach and AVT and Michael Carter, of course, part of this rookie class. I'm wondering from your perspective, Elijah, do you guys see yourselves as the rookie class can, that, that can turn things for this organization, that can be the foundational class that gets things started in the right direction? Of course. You know, why would I not? You, know, you got to look at yourself as the, as the chosen one, as the, one to, as the ones to change everything. You know, if you don't think like that, then something, something's definitely wrong. I talked to one of your, uh, Kevin Allen, of course, one of your personal coaches from back in your, your hometown in Fort Lauderdale. I spoke to him over the spring. And he said you were you constant, you, you know, you text him to do workouts at, at Riverland Park in, in Fort Lauderdale. You know, sometimes it'll be late at night workouts early in the morning. He just described that you have this maniacal work ethic. What do you recall about some of those workouts and where does that come from, that work ethic? Man, I just want to be the best. You know, um, it really just comes from being from South Florida. You know, I feel like everybody from where I'm where I'm from wants to make it out, you know, and football and track and stuff like that, such big advocates for, you know, for that. So it's really just just a blessing that God chose me to be one of them people. And um, I, I definitely got to put on, you know, um, every time I go home, it, it gives me, you know, a different type of hunger, you know, to, 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 to keep and to keep and to keep going, you know. So it really comes, I feel like, from being from where, I, where, I'm, where I'm from. I mean, the level of football in South Florida is incredible. I mean, the, the, the competition, that must have prepared you. You must have been facing – guys in high school that went on to division one and maybe even in the league right now, I would think. No, nah, yeah. hundred percent, man. The whole NFL is probably from Florida. <laughs> it seems like it sometimes. Um, who, if you had to pick out a person in your life, Elijah, if you had to pick out a person who do you think has been most instrumental in your success, who would it be? It's too many. I couldn't give you one. Is it just family, friends, co, you know, you know, other everybody, players, man, every, everybody. It's the, it's the man on the street when I was 12 years old told me that I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to make it. It's the man who told me on the street that told me that I wasn't good enough. It's, man, it's, you know, it's everybody. You know, every, everybody definitely plays, a, you know, a big part in that. But, you know, first and foremost, I got to give all, all, the, all the thanks to God. Obviously, you've been playing football most of your, or all of your life. What is your earliest football memory? My earliest football memory. Probably I didn't even want to play football when I was young. You know, my brother used to really just love it, and I loved basketball. So that's that's something I kind of always always speak on. You know, I'm thankful for my, for my for my brother telling me to stand in the middle of the grass growing up, trying to trying to tackle him and take and take hits. So mm -hmm. stuff like that really what got me, you know, engaged and and wanted to be a competitor. So you were a little a little reluctant at first to play football, and your and your brother got you into it as. Yeah, 100%. Man, I was definitely a basketball kid. That's just interesting. So he kind of put you out on the on the lawn and, and said, here's the ball and, and run and I'm going to tackle you. Yeah, more more like stand right here and, I, and I'm going to hit you. <laughs> One of those deals. One of those big brother, little brother moments. Well, oh, that's... Man. He, he, he won most of them. <laughs> I, I would say so. I would. It's interesting. Uh, when did you know, Elijah, like at what point in your career did, did the thought enter your mind that, hey... I got a chance 
to be a professional football player? And I always kind of knew, you know, when I was little, I always told my mom, told, I told my parents that I was always going to, you know, I wanted to go to, that, to the NFL and that I was. You know, it was just something that I kind of just spoke out to existence. You know, whenever you speak stuff like that, man, you are going to get, you know, what you receive. You know, your mouth is something very, very powerful. You know, your tongue is powerful. So really when I, you know, when I was like probably six, seven years old, man, I was telling my mom and then high school, you know, when I started hearing about offers and I was just balling and stuff like that was when I realized that I probably could really, you know, really take this somewhere. Wow. That, that is a very early confidence that you had in yourself. Amen. <laughs> and of course you go to Ole Miss where, you know, you have a great career. In fact, I, we talk about the 141 yards you had on Sunday. You actually averaged 149 yards per game last year at Ole Miss. So you were used to that kind of production. You played with great players there like DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. I just want to ask you about each of those guys and maybe you can tell me something you learned or took away football wise from either one of those guys. I know DK Metcalf is obviously a different kind of receiver than you because he's so big, but is there anything you learned from him being around him? Yeah, first of all, speaking on college, I got to shout out to Kiffin. You know, Coach Coach Kiffin was an exceptional coach and someone who taught me a lot about the game that, that I, you know, take and carry with me now. But um, speaking on AJ and DK, man, um, those are two, one of the most hard, hardworking athletes you know, I've, ever, I've ever been around. One of my main reasons for even picking Ole Miss to go there, you know, I wanted to learn from those, from those cats, you know. So seeing, seeing their work ethic and, and just how, you know, football or not, they're unbelievable people. You know, um, the way they treat people, their, you know, the level of care of character and 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 passion and pureness is is contagious. So, something like that has just helped me shape me, you know, shape me into be a a better human being. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful for them, of course. Now, what did he, either one of those guys serve as like your recruiting host when you went to visit them, or did, did you get to know both them? Of them you... Both of them were. Really. Yeah. So you show up to Ole Miss on as a high school recruit and both of those guys are showing you around campus exactly wow that's a pretty that's a pretty you must have been a highly coveted uh, high school recruit to have both of those guys showing you around campus that's like the red carpet treatment yeah man a little something <laughs> did that did you commit right away did you know as soon as you got there and started talking to those guys that this this is the place for me no nah, not for real man i really you know i had to pray on it you know it was it was, it was definitely some options of where i wanted to go to school i feel like that decision for kids you know, especially with, you know, having my parents let, you know, allowing me to make that decision from for myself. Um, you know, you young, man, you, that that's a big decision. So it definitely wasn't easy, but I'm glad, you know, I, I chose where I, you know, where I ended up. Now, we all know that you and AJ are so close. In fact, I, there's that famous video that when you, you guys were next to each other, when um, when you got drafted, that he actually got really emotional when you got picked by the Jets in the second round. <laughs> Talk about your friendship. And and just how often do you guys you guys keep in touch a lot now during the season? I know things get hectic during the season, but how often are you guys in touch with each other? Yeah, man, I, I talk to AJ every day of my life. You know, um, it's more than family, man. It's like I got a, I got a different type of love for him. You know, he's like my actual brother. You know, so like my mama had him for real. <laughs> well, you know, he made a, a huge statement last week at his press conference. You know, when he came out and he and he spoke very openly about his battle with depression. In fact, his quote, he referred to you, how you helped him and his exact words, Elijah, and I'm sure you know this, but he said, I love him like I, like he's my brother. He is my brother. That's what he said about you. W what did that mean to you? Just 
the, just the courage he showed to go out publicly and speak about that and also acknowledging how much you helped him. Uh, it's definitely a blessing, you know, that he even had the, you know, the courage to even do that. It's something definitely big that I think didn't even get enough light. You know, um, people, you know, us, us athletes go through things and people don't even realize that all these kids want to, you know, want to be like us and be us. But some of these athletes don't even want to be, be themselves, you know, so really, really just him speaking on that and having the courage to give, give somebody else that confidence and, you know, and to help and even speak on me. You know, he didn't, he didn't have to, he didn't have to do that. I didn't want no light for that. You know, as long as I help my, you know, my brother get on and, and if I can just listen, you know, that's, that's, that's something I, I, I would do a hundred times over. So man, a hundred, a hundred shout outs, a hundred kudos to him. How were you able to help him, Elijah? Man, that's something that's, you know, between me and him, man, I'd rather not speak on it. Mm-hmm. No, I understand that. I totally understand it. But let me just say, did it surprise you when he came out publicly? And I, I guess you watching for, he did it on social media first, um, watching from afar here in New York or New Jersey. Uh, I just wondered when that happened, like just what kind of emotions went through your body and, and just, you know, your initial reaction when he did it? Uh, you know, it was just, it was just a great moment. You know, it was just something that I, you know, I told you again, that didn't really get enough light as if, you know, it probably should have, but you know, it all, it's all going to come full, full circle. We give everything to God. So it's not, you know, really worry we worry about. I'm just proud of him. He also said at the beginning of the year that he would bet one of his checks that you would win offensive rookie of the year. Now I know you got off to a little bit of a slow start, but is that still in the cards? Do you think that could still happen the way you've been playing lately? Of course, man. It's, it's, it's the goal. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. You know, my mindset doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, I stick with what I stick with. You know, there's obstacles are, are going to come. You know, you, you got to know that. But I'm always going to overcome because I'm not going to stop. And just lastly, Elijah, obviously the year has not gone well from a, a one-loss record at 2-8, and eight, not what you had in mind. But what do you hope for for the last few games of the year as we get down to the stretch, the last seven games? What do you see for yourself, and what do you see for this offense over the final seven? Just to finish strong, man, to get closer with, closer with my brothers on, you know, on the team, you know, to win and you know, to, have, to have smiles. At the end of the day, man, football's a child's game, man. We, we just got to have fun. You know, life, life is too short to, to not be smiling, to be leaving these, leaving these games you know, happy spending time with our families and smiling. So that's, that's, that's the main thing. And speaking of families, got to ask you a Thanksgiving question. So what's Elijah Moore's Thanksgiving going to look like this year? Is there, do you, do you have a a tradition, like a family tradition that you've had in the past? Usually it's a lot of people that revolves around football. Uh, What about you? What's, what's going to be like this? Of course you have practice on Thursday. You have to take care of your job, but what are you going to be doing on Thursday? Man, I just go with the flow. Usually, my you know, I link up with the fam and stuff like that. But you know, we got we, we got business to handle, so I'm gonna probably have a good plate of food, man. Watch and watch some football, or something, man, and and just kick, you know, kick my feet up. Well, I can, I can certainly relate to that. That's what I do every year as well. So, Elijah Moore, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Continued success for the remainder of the season. Likewise, thank you. All right, it's Twitter time, and we have some provocative questions from our followers on Twitter. Thanks again for the great questions. And the first one is from at sports underscore FI 3ND. With Elijah Moore's breakout game against Miami, showing signs as a premier wide receiver in this offense, who was your favorite Jets receiver that you've covered during your tenure on the Jet Beat? Also, 
who does uh, Moore's game remind you of from other notable receivers that you've seen? Well, here's my ideal wide receiver. I'm going to come if I could combine all these traits into one receiver, I'd have one hell of a wide receiver. I'd have a pro football hall of famer. I would take Altoon's grace, Lavernius Coles' toughness, Brandon Marshall's power, Keyshawn Johnson's competitiveness, Wayne Krebet's hands, and Santana Moss's speed. Put all that together, I'll play anybody. I'd have one heck of a wide receiver. Now, for Elijah Moore, I think he reminds me a lot of Santana Moss, uh, just from a body type, you know, about 5'10", excellent route runner, just smo- so smooth in and out of his cuts. So that would be the guy who I would uh, most associate with, at least in terms of a jet comparison. Next one from at Alito Bit Lazy. What were your takeaways on LDT? We're talking, of course, about Lawrence Duvernay Tardif and his first week back following two years off. He goes, I think he looked like he was dominating and I was impressed, but I didn't pay attention to every one of his plays. Well, let me throw out some knowledge for you on this. so he did really well as a run blocker, according to our ESPN stat metrics, which you know is somewhat subjective. Uh, we try to be as objective as we can be with the data we accumulate. But he was ranked ninth out of 57 guards this weekend, this week, in week 11 in run blocking. That's pretty good. Pretty good for a guy who hasn't played in a while. Now, pass blocking, kind of middle of the pack. He was 34th out of 54 guards across the league this week. He did have six first pressures and one sack, which is not great. But all things considered, I thought it was a good weekend for LDT. And, you know, look at the the Chiefs. Obviously, the Jets got him from the Chiefs. They just cut Dan Brown last week. He's the guy who was involved in this trade. So uh, Joe Douglas does have a knack of, of making good trades. It seems like the guys he traded away recently really haven't panned out, you know, and I'm thinking, of course, of mostly Sam Darnold. Daniel Brown gets cut, of course, not exactly a big name, you know, household name there, but still. So a promising first step for LDT. I think you're going to see him in the lineup for as long as he stays healthy. Next question at Dennis K. Harris. Uh, all perennial losing teams have one thing in common, poor ownership. The Jets have been through countless heads, coaches, players, GMs. We, conti- we can't continue to blame them. Is there any chance we could get a billboard like the Idzik one for Woody Johnson to sell the team and have a Packer-style ownership? Well, obviously, Woody Johnson is not going to sell the team, which is probably valued at, at least at a, a couple of billion dollars right now. He's not going to do that. Uh, I think he's probably setting the stage for his younger son to take over someday. Um, but, you know... You make some interesting points. Woody Johnson made the playoffs in six of his first 11 years as an owner. I think a lot of that was um, the fact that Woody uh, Bill Parcells set up the organization when he left. And I think Woody Johnson was kind of riding the coattails of Bill Parcells there a little bit. Uh, now, he did have those two years with Rex Ryan, so I give credit to Woody Johnson for that. That was, of course, 09 and 10. But now they are involved and in, they are mired in the longest playoff drought in the league. Longest active playoff drought. He's made some horrible decisions regarding coaches and GMs. He was all in on Tebow. He wanted Revis a second time and threw ridiculous money at him. And the team is just stuck in an endless rebuilding cycle. The fans are are just frustrated, and that frustration is warranted. 
So I think you have every right to be upset at Woody Johnson. Now, granted, he was away for three years. His brother Christopher was running the show. But taken as a whole over the last 20 years, you have every right to be upset with ownership of this team. At Dan Schnock's question, the lack of attention to some details is concerning, even for a first-year head coach. The delay penalties at inopportune moments are a glaring example of that. It seems to me that a head coach either has this attention to detail or they don't. Uh, What do you think? Well, you know, they did have two wasted timeouts on Sunday. They were having confusion with their substitution, and that's on coaching. And and Robert Solid said that after the game. It's on coaching, and they got to get it fixed. In terms of the delay penalties, the Jets have four delay penalties this year, and I looked it up. The high is six. The Detroit Lions have six delay penalties. There are nine teams with five or six, so the Jets are right in that 10 to whatever group. And it's interesting to note, The Patriots, obviously a very well-coached team with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, they have five delay penalties, more than one more than the Jets. And a rookie quarterback has something to do with that. So the Jets aren't alone in that fact. Uh, So I think on paper, the stats don't indicate a lack of attention to detail. But I think in terms of the eye test, I I think at times there is a lack of attention to detail with some wasted timeouts and uh, some inopportune mistakes. So I think you're on to something there. Next question, at Monty one Capaletti. Um, I have read that the defense will likely have five to seven new starters next year. Assuming you agree, which five to seven guys are out in your opinion? Well, let me just say the ones I think will be back as starters. Of course, Carl Lawson coming back from the injury, uh, Quentin Williams, JFM, CJ Mosley, Bryce Hall, and I think Michael Carter the second. So that's uh, one, two, three, four, five. So that's six right there if you count Carter as a starter. I think guys like Rankins and Ashton Davis are, are kind of borderline, but the rest is wide open, uh, wide open. And so I do think you'll see, you know, five, maybe six new starters on defense after the offseason. At J underscore Bird 44. Hi, Rich. Curious as to what made Rex Ryan publicly change his tune on Salah's strategy for turning the Jets around. Any additional insight would be great. Thanks and go orange. One of my fellow Secuse guys here with the question. Yeah, that was a stunning change of heart by Rex Ryan. He eviscerates Robert Salah on ESPN radio last Monday and then goes on NFL countdown on Sunday and does a complete 180, says he's a Robert Sala fan. He's reached out to Robert Sala, which I give Rex credit for doing. He reached out to him. They talked about it. Obviously, he bought what Sala was selling him over the phone, and now Rex Ryan is all in. It was just it was just a stunning change. I don't know what prompted it, to be quite honest with you, but it's not often that you see someone go from criticizing someone to praising him with such extremes on both sides. So that was a shocker to say the least. And another question, our last question, we're talking quarterbacks here from at BDTT sports is the continued statistical success by the backup quarterbacks, a good sign for when Zach Wilson comes back or does it add more pressure and concern for his play? I think the answer is both Flacco white and Josh Johnson have combined for 11 touchdowns and nine interceptions, and they're all completing at least 64% of their passes. Zach Wilson, 
only four touchdowns, nine interceptions, and just a 57% completion rate. So I think it's a good sign because it shows that the offense is quarterback friendly. In Flacco, White, and Johnson, we're not exactly talking about elite quarterbacks here, yet they, they, they've been up been able to put up respectable numbers. I'm not going to say those numbers are great because 11 and 9 is not an ideal interception touchdown ratio, but uh, still they've been able to function. So I think that's a good thing, but you're right. I think it does put more pressure on Zach Wilson coming back, even though he is a rookie, you want to see him maintain the standard that other players, supposedly less talented players were able to uphold. It's Thanksgiving week, and for many reasons, I always think back to 1995. Now, this might be a frightening thought for some Jet fans, but there are some parallels between then and now. Back then, the Jets were a two-win team under a first-year coach, Rich Kotite. Now, they're a two-win team under a first-year coach in Robert Sala. Back then, it was a road trip to Seattle. This week, it's a road trip to Houston. Back then, team owner Leon Hess, who attended every practice on Thanksgiving Day, gathered his players on the field and delivered a fiery pep talk about the importance of playing for pride. And he concluded his speech by telling the players, quote, let's go out and show them we're not a bunch of horses asses, end quote. It made huge headlines in the New York papers the next day. Actually, if it happened now, the video of the speech would have gone viral instantly. Sure enough, they listened. The Jets upset a mediocre Seattle team, and then promptly lost the rest of their games. Ah, memories. Maybe Woody Johnson should take a page out of his predecessor's playbook and give a horse's ass a speech, although I don't think he has that kind of gumption. Full disclosure, I did not witness the Hess speech. I was on the Jets beat for Newsday at the time, but I had more important matters on my mind. I was in a Long Island hospital because my son, Matt, was born that day. Happy birthday to Matt and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Thanks again for listening. I want to thank our guest this week, Elijah Moore, our producer, Jeff Scopin. Enjoy the holiday and we'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.